0: Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And, and our happiness,
1: happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped. It loves us a circle with no end. I was about <laughs> this, this last night and he
0: said happiness is
1: egg-shaped. Um, happiness is egg shaped and love's a circle with nowhere.
0: Hello and welcome to the Happiness Is Podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison from Happiness is Egg Shaped. And today I am joined with a man who has to write an autobiography because there is so, so much. There is no way we can cover it all in the time that we've got. And I am keen to get as much depth as we possibly can. I've no idea where it's going to go, believe it or not, for this one. I have made some notes because there is so much to this guy. And it's all come to make him the human he is now. And I'm really keen to hear about what goes on now, what his plans are for the future. And to get his views on some of the things that have gone before. A Scotland International, so already there's huge amounts of jealousy because he's done something I would have loved to have done. And I think it took him a bit by surprise. He's a very humble man and I'm looking forward to this. So let's get going. Please welcome the one and the only Mr. Joe Ansbro. Hello, sir. Hi, Bruce. Hi Yeah, very well. I'm excited by this because although I know a bit about you and we've got lots of people in common, including your brother-in-law Craig, who's my boss. Um there's there's so much I didn't know, uh, and you've you are you going to write an autobiography? Surely someone's tapped you on the shoulder. To be honest, there's too much that I don't
1: know about my life, so I'm not sure how interesting it would be. I'm not sure if that's the concussions or just you yeah, know
0: whatever. But not uh, not not sure. Not sure. I, I think there's so much in here. Let's let's rewind almost all the way back, growing up in Dumfries, and. I read a quote, and I don't know if this is true because you can only believe some of what you hear, that you're a frustrated footballer.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you two older brothers and an older sister, all, all very good at football. Um, my dad played, hence the accent, for Blackburn Rovers for a while um, and a bit of Crystal Palace and so we had kick-arounds in the garden. Our neighbours are from Stuart's Melville, actually. They, they got stuck in as well in the holidays and Ultimately I, I I was okay. I was quite athletic, but I wasn't as skillful as some of the other players on the pitch. So um, you know, use other methods to get the ball, shall uh, we say? other
0: methods that became useful in the future.
1: Exactly, yeah. That yeah. Contact sport probably not, but you know, if you could turn it into a contact sport, it'd tend to go be better for
0: And your old man, a professional footballer, is that did you look at that and think that's the life for me. The professional sport seems like a a thing I could do.
1: Uh, I think it was it was, it was useful for for, me, for many things really, but yeah, certainly just getting out and about and playing sport. You know, I, I loved it. I love team sport. I love the contest and the confrontation as well. You know, all the siblings. Um, you know, I got my younger siblings involved as well. But um, from my dad's perspective, you know, he he retired before he was twenty, and became a brickie. So. You know, he left school when he was 15. So actually going forward, it was always his priority that we, you know, we focus on education. As good as sport is and as much fun as it can be, you know, his priority was making sure we stayed in school and learned as much as we could. Uh, So, you know, he he, he loves sports. Uh, I wouldn't say my family knew a huge amount about rugby, even to the age of my mum and dad turning up for my first game at Murrayfield. Still not convinced Uh, they knew the rules or the laws of the game, shall we say? But uh, my dad always said, you know, why don't you kick it more? You kick it more. It's lots of space in behind, and obviously, you know, those those short that short kicking games, it's essential, and it's more and more common. You see, like being so effective. It wasn't quite on my skill set though. Sadly,
0: uh, it's amazing how simple people can make the game look and sound when they're not immersed in it. Because really, it should be a simple game. Yeah,
1: and if you don't have a foot shaped like a fifty p coin as well, which is what I had unfortunately, so yeah, me kicking it wouldn't—I wouldn't have been selected much for the team. You—you uh, uh,
0: you give yourself a hard time. What—what what was it like going to sessions at a rugby club like Stewartry?
1: I was great. It was always my summer. Um, so I'm one of six. Uh, my older brother Al—he um, loved it, and he'd make sure we go. We'd—we'd we'd work at the the local like a building yard in Castle Douglas. Uh, My dad always says, you know, it's good. These 50 kilogram bags of cement, it's good for your career. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm I'm like 14, I'm not sure. Still got spinal issues to this day. But then we'd finish working at Tass Building Supplies and then we'd jump in the car over to to the stewardry. And and, and, yeah, it was normally, it was always pre-season, so lots of running, lots of touch rugby. So, you know, I'm playing with adults from the age of like 13, 14. Um, You know, lots of interesting conversations, between those guys that yeah, I won't quote now, but it was great fun. I felt like I was really part of the community, which for someone who you know, from the age of eight went to a boarding school in Northwest England, that was quite nice to get back into things and get to know some of the guys, particularly some of the guys my age. So, yeah, we loved it. And then we'd always get there for the pre-season kickabouts with Ammon or Dumfries, occasionally get down to Selkirk and play games, and it's good fun. Loved it.
0: And am I right in saying your shirt's on the clubhouse wall? I don't know. It probably is. I mean, I've I've given
1: a few um to my dad. So obviously he's he's still based in Castle Douglas with my brothers. Um so I haven't I haven't seen it, but um there, there, there are a few there are a few in Castle Douglas doing the rounds. I didn't get that many cats,
0: so she uh, enough. I've been down to Stewart Tree. I I love it. Good people there, and I'm pretty sure they're they're proud. When was the last time you were back?
1: it's been a while I get invited back say so my
0: my dad's business sponsors the club so
1: you know I, I do get back to watch the odd game to be honest the last time I properly got stuck in uh stuff, McDowell was was 16 before he went to Merkiston so he I was kind of playing touch with that group and they were a really good team they had a really good scrum off as well and I remember saying to Craig my brother-in-law obviously he's at Merkiston yeah this this kid's pretty handy Um, But he he was already signed up, I think, to go to Merkston. And uh, he's done pretty well since then, I gather. uh,
0: He has done well. If if he hadn't been a professional, would you still have played club rugby? Yeah, I think that was something
1: I was really looking forward to doing as I kind of wind down from professional rugby, just getting back into club rugby, semi-pro, maybe amateur, depending on... It's It's always a dream that you think you can do, but the reality is, you know, my knee was falling to pieces by the time I was 25 years old, so I'm not sure how functional I would have been. But even just as a teacher now, we have, you know, members of staff have, you know, amateur teams that they get stuck into playing for. And in my head, it would have been lovely to have played that. I think the reality would have been quite different. I'd probably take it too seriously. Not quite get the level right. Um, but I do enjoy... I, you know, kicking a footy around or playing touch rugby now. Um, it's just, you know, something that I'm good at and it's something that brings people together. It's really good. The social aspect's fantastic, isn't it? You know, rugby, rugby players through and through similar common interests and it's always an easy
0: environment to get stuck in. Yeah, absolutely. Are you a good spectator? Do you, do you enjoy watching the game? Uh, I do. I prefer
1: perhaps having a vested interest, I think that's the same for most people, maybe. But if I know someone who's playing or someone I've coached is playing, it makes the game a lot more interesting for me. Um, but, yeah, as a coach, it, it's not always enjoyable, as, as, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> but, um, it, it, you know, I, I definitely enjoy it a lot more than I thought I would. Certainly when I retired, there were options to go into coaching full-time and it, did, it wasn't hugely appealing to me um and it, it probably still isn't the idea of being a full-time coach but certainly getting in coaching and watching rugby you know i'm, I'm still in the game enough to have a vague idea of what's going on uh, when i because the rules have changed quite a bit since i played and obviously the tempo of the games changed the number of kilometers a player runs in my position's gone up a bit um not sure if the size has dropped much i think everyone's still roughly the same kind of size but it's nice to, to feel like I can watch a game and still understand what's going on.
0: Were you a coachable player? Um,
1: probably not. Uh, so I don't think I was coached to be honest until I was, uh, you know, I dunno. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an interesting question. Yeah. Hooking up with players who, who, who grew up in a rugby league environment, I kind of realized how much I'd missed in coaching. Uh, I know someone like John Fletcher has just joined the Scotland Pathways. I think he's running Scotland Pathways. And he he coached me when I was 15 for two sessions. And you know, I still remember what he taught me because you know, there was some of the limited input I got as a player. It was, it was quite results dependent. Um, and, you know, you did backs moves, I guess. But in terms of the technical expertise, most of my coaching that someone say someone like Northampton was to do with the breakdown which was useful, you know, uh, the breakdown is very important. But actual, you know, I moved to London Irish to work with guys who I knew could improve my technical elements in terms of the catch, pass, attacking, decision-making, the stuff that's a bit more challenging when you get to a higher level of rugby. It's all right when you're 15, 16, and perhaps a little bit faster, a little bit more aggressive, or, you know, just understand and have that confidence to run a certain line and generally get away with it. But once you start getting up, yeah, you know to international rugby it's, it's you know the margins are much finer and you kind of you know I was definitely needing more coaching certainly by the time I retired at 26 I was still desperate for more input from just the bits and bobs I'd learned from moving to Irish or at Northampton it'd be some of the senior players would maybe give you a few bits of information about a particular running line or a certain move and you think yeah that'd be, that's, that's really handy um, where's that been my entire rugby career?
0: Um, so where where did you pick things up then? Were you were you a watcher and think I'll I'll do some of that, or were you just playing on instincts?
1: Just instinct, yeah, hundred percent. Which is, is frustrating because I, I defensively, I had, there was lots of consistency for me as a player. You know, I, I understood defense really well. Uh, I was quick enough and agile enough to uh, to react to certain movements. So I was always happy with my defense. But in terms of attack, yeah, it was. It's heavy reliance on other players. Um, you know, I'd do what they told me to do and trust them that they'd give me the ball if I was in a gap. Um, most of the time that worked, but if it didn't, then I was only about 92 kilograms, so it was never going to end particularly well. And I was lucky I played with some great fly halves, uh, but obviously, you, know, you need that two or three ball players in that back line, really, um, who can carry as well if you want to try and really push the top, top teams.
0: Who did you love playing with? Who were who were some of the players that you maybe, I don't know, Pinch yourself thinking, I can't believe I'm getting to share the ball with this guy? Well, I,
1: I, I can tell you who I didn't enjoy playing with. He was an absolutely unbelievable player. My first season at Northampton, Carlos Spencer was the fly half.
0: Oh, the dream. The dream. Um,
1: yeah, and it, it was, it was, he was obviously a great guy. And just playing with him <laughs> as one 10 and then someone like Barry Everett or Stephen Marlowe as my other 10. And, um, you know... Again, i just come from University Rugby. It was, it was all quite new to me in front of, you know, 15-odd thousand people at Frankens Franklin's Gardens. And I just couldn't, it took you a while to figure out why a running line with Barry Everett was worked. And then again, with, with Lossie, it just didn't work. And then you realize actually he's on the line before. I basically had to start running before he got the ball to make sure I was anywhere near him at the time he wanted to pass. Whereas the other 10s, you're just waiting, let them catch. Start movies. You know, uh, it was it was it was interesting i still remember game at welford road so big of derby and Dan hitkiss was the um was my opposite man and mossy just kept chucking miss passes to me and every time he was just flying up and just swatting me every time And i was like i went to him at halftime like can you maybe give it to the 12 and the 12 can go to the fullback and he's like no mate just just flick it just flick it on there's loads of space just flick it and I'm I'm kind of twenty years old, Jim Mellander yes. approaches. I flick it. I'm not playing for Northampton again. It's, it's 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 the end of my career. before it's even started. He can do that, obviously. You know, how many caps he's got for the All Blacks? But. Uh,
0: uh, 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 so <laughs> it sounds quite uh, very cool. But is that then something you look at now and you think when you see a player maybe underperform or play differently, it's actually more impacted by the player inside them or the people that's around them?
1: Potentially. Certainly coaching under 18s, you know, you, you try and empower the outside backs to make the decisions for the fire half. Fire half's got enough going on. Um, you know, they're managing the whole game. So actually you want the guys to call the moves that they want to do. And as long as there's enough shape and enough options for the 10 to make a decision that puts someone into space that's fine it's not kind of too preemptive um but yeah again once you once I got up to playing for Scotland and particularly my last tour to Australia um 2012 um you know certainly as, as defensive leaders we were in charge of how we wanted to run the defense because ultimately it was our next on the line come the game if we weren't comfortable with what we were doing then that wasn't good for anyone so we got a lot more autonomy there which is nice um i wouldn't have ever been an attack leader but yeah it's uh, certainly as i got through my career i'd maybe talk to the fly half and say can we try something a bit different against this team um but actually i didn't i didn't have to yeah by the time i was at irish um northampton we didn't have to do anything because our pack just won every scrum and we'll kick the goals. And I don't think I touched the ball as a back in Northampton. We just you know Mujati and Tom Gawier just and Dylan Harley just absolutely eviscerated all of the other packs. So it wasn't a huge amount to do with, Um Irish less front football So you know a bit more reliant on good decision makers in the back line. And actually I learned a lot just playing more rugby in the backs, getting the ball in my hands more, um, you know, people like Dan Bowden, who's a New Zealand lad, you know, really creative player. And just simple things that as a coach, you know, I now try and implement and help my other you know, back three or centres understand why you do this line. I was just doing lines because it kind of worked. Didn't really understand why and how we were trying to manipulate the defenders.
0: Would you like to be coached by you?
1: Uh, I don't know, it's a good question. Um, I think I was very lucky in terms. You know, I said I was you know, coaching. I uh, focused maybe on the technical side. So I didn't get a huge amount of input. We got a lot of psychological input at our schools. You know, in terms of that winning mentality and working really hard. So, I think there's still a, there's you know there's um, there's certainly an element of that in my coaching. Um, you know taught at the same school for eight years. And this, this is the year finally where I've, I've, I've had to do very little of that because they're very motivated boys. They're very confrontational naturally in a controlled way. Thankfully, we are not getting yellow cards left, right and center. And it's been, it's been odd to have a team that reminds me of myself in terms of how hungry they are to win and how much it means to them. Um, so, Which means I'm lucky. I can kind of look more at some of the technical aspects, but I'm not sure. Um, I think if I was full time, probably yes, because it's a product, isn't it? And um, you just like most people, if you get into coaching, you're probably quite a competitive person, and you don't want to let people down. You don't want to let yourself down. You don't want to let your players down. So you you put the time in, you put the hours in to make sure you're, you've done your due diligence on the opposition. You you're understanding, you problem solving for each individual to make sure they can get better. I think you know that that matters to me. Um, perhaps some coaches. You know, they've got a bit more oversight looking at the bigger picture and they're generally the coaches i worked with it was about the club and the direction and you know the in the minutia the little individual games were not the big you know that wasn't the big picture for them they were more looking at you know, the whole season which is also very useful um and probably better for your sanity um i probably become a little bit if i went into coaching
0: For the last six years, Fill Your Boots has been making rugby happen at the grassroots level. Please get involved and go to www.fybrugby.com to register your club or to register as a player and join the online community to make sure that games continue to happen in the future. Joining clubs with players and players with clubs to make sure that we can keep the club game as strong as possible. Fill Your Boots. Bring in rugby together. You, You mentioned winning there. Did you, could you forgive a poor performance with a win? And did you take, did you take positives if you lost that you had played well or was winning the, the sort of benchmark?
1: Yeah, I think as a player, winning was important. Yeah, I don't, you, know, you, you want to play well, and you wouldn't necessarily, as a player, always understand why things weren't going well. And you know, even now, I talk about games with friends who are at in the same school as me about, you know, why did we lose that game? You just don't get it, as you, know, you don't have that the ability to step away and see the bigger picture. Um, as a coach, I'm probably more interested in performance than results, which is immense. Which means, obviously, there's lots of frustration because you, you, you know what the players are capable of when it goes well. And there's obviously lots of variables they can't control, like how good the opposition are, how the referee is managing the breakdown,
0: the conditions
1: oh. and injuries and now COVID. Um, so there's, there's so many different things thrown in the mix. But, yeah, you know, I, I certainly would judge myself on how well the team are playing over the results because we play a really tough fixture card. So, you you, know, you can't always guarantee, you know, rugby's a... There's lots of uncertainties, aren't there? That's why we love rugby so much. That's why, you know, Scotland you know, perhaps could have got the Grand Slam, you know, last year, or this year rather, but yeah, instead they just beat the two best teams away from home. World, teams that should have been at home. So.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one because as a player, the result impacted how you felt for the rest of the week. And, you know, you'll have played in games and have played and coached in games where with the last kick of the game the result has changed and then that's led to your mood for the week whereas as a coach you can win by 40 points and you'll still be a bit pissed off because you could have played better and you should have done this and you should have done this. Are you able to I've I've read about how family is important and you've got other things and you've always been able to balance whether it be study and, and rugby have you been able to switch off
1: um, yeah, certainly. What well, as a player or as a coach?
0: Yeah, as as either you you've had you've always had a balance of things that appears all the way through life. You've you've never been really a one trick pony. Did you find that was needed to switch off from rugby, or were you, have you always been quite good at leaving it at at the field?
1: Yeah, I think I have generally been quite good at being able to contextualise things and step away and, and
0: and not dwell on them for
1: too long. I mean, there's the odd exception. Um, and you know the, the, two, the two exceptions actually spring to mind now. Both for Scotland um, games that we should have won that we didn't, and that that definitely took you know. I gave those shirts away pretty early. I think they were they were donated straight away. You know, I, you know it, it, it was it's really tough. Um, just growing up, you know, and going to Murrayfield and watching games and being in the crowd when the results haven't gone. The way the Scottish team, and then you, you know when you're actually on the pitch, it, it's quite a lot of. Um, you, know, I guess, you kind of feel that weight a little bit. Uh, particularly, I think the games are, that I that you know I think it was Wales in 2011 Six Nations, and they were on like an eight-game losing streak. And we just played quite well against France, who were brilliant, but they beat us. But we played well, and it was really a game that just didn't go well across the board. And I personally didn't perform particularly well either, which is probably the one game I thought I really was below um, where I should have been. I mean, you always want to be better, and I always felt I could have got better in time, but I was just off, off the pace a bit. And, uh, yeah, that took a long time uh, to kind of to get over that one. Um, and then perhaps England in Auckland in the World Cup the same year where, again, the game was infinitely winnable. I, I feel I feel like it was ours, but we needed it by eight points. So I guess we tactically changed what we tried to do to try and get the eight points to go through because we'd lost to Argentina. And, you know, I wasn't involved in. I was involved in the first game and then had a two-game break, which was never ideal. You kind of need that consistency with the same personnel. And then they chucked in Sean Lamont into twelve. We, I knew Sean well because of Northampton, but. You know, everything we'd built and prepared has just gone out the window. And we're just gonna see what happens on this day. And if we just said, let's just win the game, don't worry about the, the points difference. I, I believe, and I'm sure there'd be 15 players in white shirts who would disagree with me, but I believe the game was ours. I don't think it was a, a vintage England side. It wasn't a vintage Scotland side either, but the game was infinitely winnable. And to, to come away from that and to go into, you know, we're out the World Cup then um and then you get you are know, in the bars afterwards in Auckland and you you hear some of your friends who've come to watch you being consoled by England fans of like oh scotland, scotland tried their best but it just weren't good enough and you, it it just it's galling it's exactly it just uh it, it was tough and obviously that England team then went on to get knocked out straight away by someone yeah. Congress, and I don't remember who knocked them out. But it was that those teams definitely took me a long time to go over. But I think, in the, the kind of pace of the Premiership, for instance, there's always another game. Um, yeah, there's always a, a month, you know, there's, there's maybe two games a week. So, you, you know, you, you can't really, you don't have time to dwell on things.
0: Um, your, your Scotland career is a really interesting one. 11 in games, but you probably experienced some people's lifetimes of being. A Scotland supporter, you won huge games. You you beat some of the probably lesser nations narrowly. Maybe not hitting the straps. You have frustrations with games that you should have won. In quite a short Scotland career, you experienced the absolute roller coaster of of being involved in Scottish rugby. Yeah, it
1: was. Um, so my maths teacher was. Um, was Susan Greenwood, who's the mother of Will Greenwood. Uh, and I remember, so he, he kind of, obviously she made him text me after the South African game and said, he yeah, should probably retire now. he have just beaten the world champions first cap. And that was surreal. I was in the crowd the week before. I had no idea I was going to play that game. I was due to play America in, in um, kind of gala, I think it was. And we, we, Max Evans was touch and go. And we, the All Blacks put about 50 on Scotland the week before. I remember watching that game and every time Dan Carter ran into like three or four Scotland players, he just came out unscathed on my head. I was just like, that doesn't make, that's not right. If he's going to run in. He's got to be hobbling out. He is, he's, yeah, that is the guy. You, you can't let him, obviously we're a little bit, we respected him a little bit too much, I think, um, but obviously that's a fantastic all-backs team. I never got to play against the all-backs. Um, and then South Africa, yeah, unbelievable result. Murrayfield was half full, I think, from the week before. People weren't expecting uh, things to go particularly well. Um, but it still felt, you know, it was charged. And just, just the way the game was managed by our halfbacks, the weather helped, obviously. And then I just remember finishing the game and shaking hands with all the South African forwards and just thinking, I didn't see this guy once, all game. <laughs> Thank God. Like Mattfield back his boat, uh, the Moulins' first cap, I think it was. And... I was like, we were such a kind of siloed game of rugby um you know, there wasn't you know, we, you know a couple of months later we played france and it's 15 man rugby you know everyone's everywhere and it's ra- rapid and you ra- you're out of breath this game was very kind of like a game of chess very slow moving um and you know, fair play you know obviously our pack and our game management got us through that game um the england boys got absolutely hammered the week afterwards and obviously i went back to northampton and they were just like, how did that happen? How would you guys do it? It's
0: like, oh. Like, uh, just... <laughs> She'd have picked Joanne's bro in a white shirt.
1: <laughs> no, no, it was an interesting, I mean, obviously, yeah, it's, it's an obvious uh, thing that's come up a lot, but I don't think I'd be allowed back home if that happened. Um...
0: <laughs> there's, there's a bit of, you, you didn't really think, you didn't really seem to have the belief that you were going to play for Scotland. It wasn't something you, you held on to. When you got there, was there any amount of imposter syndrome or did you think, no, no, I'm here. This is me. This is exactly where I'm supposed to be in this moment.
1: Um, yeah, I think my most of my lack of belief is probably professional rugby full stop. Yeah, I think I went through, I guess, two parallel systems, kind of Scotland. I guess Ershie was the next move for me if I stayed in Scotland. Northampton got relegated, as I was coming out of Cambridge University, so I tried to I had a chat with Sean Lean about going up to Glasgow. Um, but generally speaking, through the English age group system, system that I went through, it was it was always you know none of you are going to make it. Um, that was that was the norm. Like, it's a tough sport. Um, Sail Sharks was probably my local club. Um, you know, there was no contracts or anything kind of, for me to turn down. But it, but then seeing you know four or five guys I played. School or rugby with playing for England, or well, yeah, predominantly for England. I don't think any of the guys I played have, went on for Scotland. Some of the age group stuff for Scotland. I think James King was a guy I played with, went up to Edinburgh as well, played five half. Well, um, I, get, I, I you know, I certainly, you know, I played a lot of rugby with these guys, and I thought, you know, I can definitely be at their level with, with the right input. Um, so it gave me a lot more belief. And, you know, some of the first conversations I had in Northampton, were well, Budge Poundly signed me. So, you know, that was nice. Uh, I was having conversations with John Jeffries about, I think it was the 21s then, It was before the 21s became the 20s. So there was lots of good noise. And some of the games I played for the Stewartry people had said, you know, do you want to go up and try, like, Glasgow District? Or, you know, and obviously I knew I was going to school, so I couldn't. So I think, you know, it was kind of fifty-fifty. Once it started to transpire that guys I knew were playing professionally and doing well, then the belief came. Um, but then I was probably two, three years behind physically, where I needed to be because I'd, I'd been at university. I think I got kicked out of the university team twice for not attending the gym sessions. So it was, it was, yeah, it was pretty hard work. I mean, I remember my agent saying to me, uh, like a year in, like you still look like a kid out there, and it took about three years before we thought I looked like a professional rugby player physically. Um, some people probably still disagree that I ever looked like a professional rugby player physically, but um but, yeah.
0: you, you give yourself a really hard time. So you, you leave school. Was going to Cambridge uh, a dream that you were striving towards, or did you not give the future a huge amount of thought yeah is... the, la-
1: the latter. Yeah. No one really kind of positioned me towards any particular university. Certainly family wise, yeah, so my dad left when he was fifteen. Um I think one of my brothers had gone to Aberdeen University, my sister was at St Andrews, my other brother like down Saint Albans Way. So what it was there was no kind of expectation. I certainly hadn't I wasn't really aware of Oxbridge until I was coming towards applications. Um <laughs> And I, I, yeah, it was. It looked interesting. Obviously, I'd watched the varsity match, and there's a lot of great Scotland players who'd, who'd been involved in that Cambridge team, particularly. Um, but once I started to read into it, I was like, "Oh yeah, this sounds pretty good. I should definitely try." And, and then there was a bit of pressure about oh, I quite like to go. Quite like to go to this place.
0: So, was rugby part of the decision to try for Cambridge?
1: I think my my coaches at school.
0: We're definitely trying to
1: lean on that and say, listen, don't try to do professional rugby. You'll get decent level of rugby at Cambridge uh, or Bristol was another university, and Bristol offered like scholarships and all sorts as well to incentivise you. This is before there was kind of tuition fees, um, so you know it was, it was it was it was that was really appealing as well. They did a good course that I was interested in. So, yeah, I think certainly my coaches at that at my school were very keen.
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: Me doing that first. Um, I think the exact, the exact words that my coach at Stoney has said, you know, if you go to sale, they'll put you on the wing and you hate playing on the wing. I was like, yeah, that's enough. To be fair, that's, again, I can't kick. Uh, yeah, I think wingers need to be able to kick the ball. Um, I play a lot of games where I won't be on the wing, unfortunately despite hating playing uh, that was enough to
0: Cambridge, Just do, do it as you're told so the the varsity is an, is an odd thing for quite a lot of people who have not been involved in it to get their head round you're there working on a, a really prestigious demanding course and i don't know what would you say were you behaving like a professional rugby player or semi, or the expectation maybe because i've also heard that you enjoyed some of the water holes in cambridge so uh, <laughs> what? You know what,
1: to be honest, i, I, I really enjoyed my third you don't, they don't even look at you to be honest uh, you know i i played england under 18 school boys so i probably thought i was quite good at rugby um i didn't even get a look in it was, it was all post-grad 30 year old ex-pros who and who were, you know who looked like rugby players and I was, I'd come in with like a you know, dodgy hip flex and they were just like, get lost, go and join the the 20s and toughen up a bit. So my first year was, was there was no, you know, I played 21 fasting matches, which, which was amazing. I loved it. And we had a really good group of undergrads. Um, and then by the second year, again, I didn't play much at all. I got concussed playing against Samoa. I was very lucky i managed to play against summer three times in my career which is yeah, blessed i only got contest once and that was when i was an undergrad um and the, the captain made went against all the coaches and picked me for a vast match at, in the center I was, I was kind of put myself on the wing because i thought i had a chance to play on the wing so i voluntarily said i'll play on the wing but he, he chucked me in at the center because he'd heard about basically he had an inside line that I was quite good from school days and just took a risk and to be honest that, that was huge for me. Um I don't think I think conversations were had after the Samoa game that I could get a contract at Company. Because a lot of this there's a guy called Eliotta Fimo who was playing in that game. He was a big, big twelve slash ten. And he signed for Gloucester and me and my mate, a guy called Dayback and Louie got Budge who was saying I would oh, we quite like to have a look at these two um so you know i'd obviously done enough in the 20 minutes i survived to, to, to get clubs interested but um yeah, actually getting out in that atmosphere and playing you know, its a one-off game it, it means so much There's so much history there and obviously the, the quality of rugby is, is hugely varied um and i totally understood that i think that helped me prepare for it of the aspiration that i wanted by then to maybe go and a level up and play professional and you know, to play it in front of forty thousand people tweaking when it's on telly and it's a one-off game of the year and you kind it really does matter if you win. The performance is not important, it's just it's about winning. Um it can be quite tough to get your head around. and I think one of those, you know, one of the tools I use was actually I want to play better rugby than this. So if I can't handle this pressure, then what's the point? Um so I kind of went in with an open mind and just thought, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best. But also, I kind of, a, you know, very, um, like I say, I'm quite a confrontational person on the rugby field. So there's lots of history, which helped, you know, I kind of bought into that anti Oxford sentiment. Um, I think there was a little bit of bad blood between some of the selections that happened, England students, or so, It's nothing to do with me, but I was like, I'll buy into that. Let's, uh, anything to motivate, really, to kind of get up for
0: this big game. So you're a bit like Michael Jordan. I don't know if you watched the last dance. He used to almost invent little niggles and comments to get the motivation. Was that something you can relate to?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, yeah, I've, I've watched that show. It's, it's, it's fascinating insight, but uh, I probably wouldn't go to the same extremes. Um, and obviously rugby's you've got to be careful. It's, it's, you're always going to be at the bottom of a ruck at some point in the game. So you don't want to go too far with some of those feuds. But I think it quite you know quietly, yes, I probably want to make sure I was you know responsible for my midfield unit to make sure that we were uh, tight defensively. Um and then obviously as an individual, yeah, once you get the ball, it's 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 fantastic. You're on a big, you're on a big stage, everyone's watching, you wanna try and up. just let loose. Just gonna make sure you catch it first. I think that's you know, sometimes the emotion gets too much for some players, you know, they forget that. Yeah. There's some basics, and that's the same approach. You, you see the, the, the kids they get so excited, they're so up for a game, and they're just they're just two steps ahead. It's like no, no, it's just take take your time.
0: You're you're posing me a bit of conundrum here. I'm trying to figure. We've got this Joe that is kind of surprised to be where he is, and didn't set himself too many targets. And then we've got this guy who wanted to play at the next level, so understood what he had to do, and is a bit confrontational. I'm I'm struggling to figure this guy. What I am guessing is, I bet you're a nightmare over the Christmas Day board game.
1: <laughs> hey, well yeah, you, well I, I think we've uh, I I certainly drive it. Let's put it that way. We'll make sure we're all playing those board games. Yeah, no, I am. Uh, I can definitely switch on and off. Yeah, I think um, uh, yeah, my, my family would attest.
0: <laughs> do Do you let your kids win, or do they have to learn that daddy's still the best?
1: Uh, yeah, my, my my boys are
0: young enough that they can still win for now. Uh, but obviously, as they get better and older, so what happens? Yeah, I, I'm beginning to get a bit more of a glimpse into it now. You you went to World Cup, and that's that's the pinnacle. Um, you said it wasn't a vintage Scotland team or or maybe a squad, but is that? Is that one of those? And I hate using the phrase bucket list, but you know, I like to, to be a professional sportsman, a play and a win, I beat the world champions, you know, I get selected again. Jim Telfer thinks said getting selected the easy bit, winning for Scotland's a difficult bit, getting picked again is difficult. You then get to go to a World Cup. What expectation do you travel with as a Scotland squad to a World Cup?
1: Um, yeah, I think realistically. I think, you know, the the bare minimum, I guess it's probably a spectrum. Um, There's obviously various bonus structures built in into your contracts as how well you might do. I think, you know, the expectation, the minimum is you get out of the group and it should always be that. Um, I think, you know, now we'd hope for more. Obviously, there's lots of factors you can't control with injuries and whatnot and all those games in such a short period of time. But I'd like to kind of, as a Scotland fan, watch a Scottish team in the World Cup thinking, you know, we can win this. Um, you know, certain, certain, you know, England and Wales, perhaps they, you know, their semi-finals, their bare minimum, perhaps they thought, both teams probably thought they were going to win it last time, uh, when South Africa won. Um, you yeah, know, I personally thought it was probably going to be Wales or South Africa based on, you know, that big performance for England to beat the All Blacks. It's kind of felt like a final and it's always difficult to come back from that level of emotion when they play that well. Yeah. Um, but you know like i said earlier you know we i i watched uh, and i remember the team come around with glenn metcalf and Kerry after 1999 when probably should have ground slammed i think uh, a few key missed penalties let England get away with a, with a win in that five nations and you think you know perhaps this year was the year that scotland could have done it for the first time in the six nations and it's nice to actually say that without sounding like you're being overly optimistic. I, I genuinely think they, they could have. And, you know, the other teams are great. I think England are getting much better. I think they're probably not at their best after their autumn the year before, but they'll be much tougher to beat next year. France, obviously, who knows? Um, I'm not quite sure how that game went in Scotland's favour, but... It was good. It's good to watch. Um, and, you know, great execution by Adam Hazel at the end to, to, to send the big man over at the end uh, with the red card. But ultimately, you know, it feels like it was an opportunity that we could have won. And it's nice to say that again as a Scotland fan, that, you know, we um, to be taken seriously. Um, for us, obviously, we didn't even get out of the group. And that was, that was really disappointing. Yeah. I think it's disappointing. It's disappointing for everyone. It was a tough group. Perhaps we weren't seeded. Well as we could have been, I think there's always an, that onus, of actually, as we start winning more and more games and getting to that top eight, you're always going to get a slightly easier draw, but with the new rule change, I think, you know, the World Cup's going to be tougher, because some of the, you know, the other nations are going to be bolstered by guys, but yeah, it's, it's only good for rugby, right? Um But I think Scotland, I'd like to think we're only kind of you know, even just watching some of the games that happened the weekend in Glasgow and Edinburgh and some of the results they've got the baseline is really high and there are the occasional there are more world-class players who are comfortable being world-class. I think perhaps when I played some of our world-class players weren't always world-class when we need them to be. Yeah. Whereas a team like Wales, who on paper, there's probably not a huge difference because if you look at some of the club sides, you know, the guys who are world-class for them, they kind of delivered consistently and it's really good to see Scotland's top, top players performing at top, top level when it matters. Um,
0: and when, when you go to a World Cup, you you know, you're in camp for a Six Nations, so you do spend a lot of time together. But when you go to an, a World Cup, you, you're you properly living with those people. Who who did you build strong relationships with when you were in that environment?
1: Uh, yeah, it's lo- lots of the boys, to be honest. It, it's a really... The A and B, Andrew and Brown, obviously Kelly and I had to read a lot, and... Um, I think, uh, Richie Gray, I roomed in Invercargill for about two weeks, which is, Invercargill's fascinating place. He, he was a yeah, really nice guy. Uh, Richie Vernon as well. I seem to have roomed with those guys a lot, and I spend most of my days trying to wind up Chris Casseter. quite enjoyed that. He was a good bloke, and he took it very well. So, uh,
0: and, and obviously, the, at
1: Northampton, yeah, there was lots of... Started off, there was Tom Smith and Ewan and Sean Lamont, and Martin. obviously... Um, then people like Scotty Gray came in. So there's lots of guys I knew quite well, Barry Stewarts, um, who were kind of in and out. Account. My first Scotland tour was 2009, the Romania Scotland A tour. And I didn't know a single person, um, which I kind of, having played with like six Scottish internationals at Saints, I went there and was, everyone was new. So that was a really good gauge as to how I was going to get on. And it, I think it was kind of Frank Haddon Mike Brewer and Andy Robinson were all kind of vying for spot the job. And, I, yeah, I think Simon Webster was my first roommate. Um, you know, I landed on my feet there. He was fantastic. He you know, took me under his wing. And it was just a really – I had too much fun. Yeah, you, know, you mentioned some of the drinking holes in Cambridge. Drinking holes and the rest were similarly. Yeah, I think Andy Robinson didn't speak to me for a year after that. <laughs> I didn't play any rugby uh, at time. Getting to know all the players, uh, and it was fantastic. But yeah, I, was, I, was, I just got lots of little niggly injuries. And by the time he called me back in for the South African game, he kind of got a better idea of what I was like as a person. And he did, he confessed that he thought I was a bit soft and was never really going to play, um, which it probably looked like that as I was kind of, you know gallivanting around Bucharest with some of the boys and having a good time and and not playing rugby. But, um, you it was just a bit unlucky. I had a couple of niggly injuries that, yeah, knocked me back a bit.
0: Hello my name is Bruce Atchison from Happiness is Egg Shaped and I am here to tell you where you can get your Happiness is Egg Shaped merchandise. Go to www.halbro.com and search for Happiness is Eggshaped in the stores. We've got it all. Umbrellas, snoots, hats, towels for when you eventually get to go on holiday to the beach or by the pool. We've got hoodies, we've got t-shirts, we've got all sorts going on there. Check it out, get your Happiness is Egg merchandise. You can get it all coloured up. For your favorite team or for your country get involved because you know i know everybody knows happiness is egg-shaped. so hearing hearing you say that webo is a great guy so i, I can vouch for that and I'm, i've got no doubt you got in trouble in bucharest and that's for a whole other podcast that we can maybe put an age restriction on but andy robinson telling you that he thought you were soft knowing where you've come from and the things that you've gone through and you're saying you're confrontational how does a comment like that land
1: it was I, I knew it I knew I knew it because
0: I think the year before
1: probably. so that was that was the summer and then, then the 2009 alex Grove we're both on the trip together he's younger he, he's yeah he's probably a classier attacking center than I would be um but he's exactly the sort of player I'd want to play against and get stuck into and I've seen him get involved, and you know they won the game obviously um against the Aussies that autumn. I, I didn't; he didn't need to tell me what he thought because he he went that way with the selection. Um, but I also understand perhaps why he thought that. So it was, it was nice to get, and the England, the the, the, the Northampton coaches loved it because they're obviously very anti-me going for Scotland. Uh, it was you know, three English caps, Grayson, and Melinda, and Wes. They were just like, we told you, sir. you would never have done it. I, I, did, I had no regrets. I was like, you know, I, I wanted to do it, um, you know, from the you know, conversations we're having from the off. You know, it, it wasn't something I thought was going to happen as quickly as it did, um, but I wanted, I had no regrets. So I was happy to do it. But, yeah, I, I didn't get a phone call for a year after that tour. Uh, no contact whatsoever, and so to be called back in after a couple of Heineken Cup games that went quite well was was a relief, and then to finally get a cap um, was obviously a, a winning cap. Followed up by another win against Samoa was amazing, but I didn't play for Northampton for about two months after that.
0: Yeah, so, there, there's a couple yeah. of things I want to pick up on there, but the first one is you join in Romania or for the tour to Romania, yeah. and. Uh, I have a a whisper that you were a bit worried about your accent when you joined up. Is that true?
1: Well, I, I would have been more comfortable if I was playing with some of the guys I played with for the last two years. Okay, yeah, some, one of the moments probably at, at its peak. And, you know, he was my, you know, I was kind of helping him out on the wing defensively. He was helping me out with my confidence and whatnot. And so, these yeah, he's a senior player, I guess. So,
0: yeah, it was something
1: that I was uh, conscious of. One of my brothers, so one of my brothers is... You know, thinks he's William Wallace and has a Scottish <laughs> has a Scottish accent. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure how authentic it is, but yeah. Just, my other brother is basically um, Edward Longshanks. He's the he's the other extreme. um uh, you know, massive football fan. And he kind of put a sign on my back as I went off to that hotel saying "I love England." So a complete stitch I, Obviously, I found him and his wife and I was like, "You're an absolute..." But he doesn't play rugby. So, you know, I, in terms of the, you know, the, the dynamic, half my family are born in England, half my family are born in Scotland. And that's pretty much where our lo- loyalties lie. So, we're a bit split. I don't think I've ever, you know, I think Ollie's always supported me as a player. Ali, the brother who's a big, you know, talked about the Wales game. He didn't talk to me for a week after the Wales game, which is a bit awkward. Um, that was tough. When you brother would speak to you because you've not played well. Um,
0: We're having Andy Robinson on the same team,
1: <laughs> probably. Yeah, he's uh, <laughs> good enough. Um, I, I, I still to this day, I helped my my sister in Edinburgh for a long time, and I was helping her move flat on the Wednesday of the, of the Wales game. And I still think that's it's bring me back to the building site. lifted all those books just took a bit out of me, sat me. <laughs> that was, that was my performance, but uh, yeah, no, my accent is um, again it. I'm comfortable with it. It is what it is, um, and obviously, it's stuyatory at school. You know, people n- n- know the accent, they know me, they know my story. But going into a group of completely new people, it's always a little bit of. Um, I guess it's that kind of inner. As a Scotland fan, you hear an English accent, you question. Them. I'm, I am. I'm, this, I'm just. I'm just. Are you? Are you in? Do you care about this? Are you know. You and that it makes me quite, because I think like that. Obviously, I appreciate other people think like that as well. Um, so, yeah, it's,
0: it's it's a bit of a cliché that I was a bit uncomfortable with, put it that way. Yeah, you've put it to bed. One of the other things I always wonder about, and you've kind of touched on it there, you are playing for Northampton, and they're your paymasters. They want you to perform for them. And then you disappear for Scotland. You do your thing for Scotland, who are obviously looking after you there. Is, is there, was there a disconnect between the two?
1: Um,
0: yeah, there, there was, to be honest. And it's a
1: difficult because Northampton is a fantastic club. Um, to this day, you know, I, I had to leave and it was right for me to leave the club. But the community, the support, it's such a good place to play rugby. Um, and the coach is pretty old school, but I respected them. And I've worked with similar coaches at school where it's kind of, less technical, more psychological. You know, how much do you want to win? How, how hard do you want to push yourself? Kind of boot camp mentality. Um, I obviously was after something a little bit more refined by the time I left. But, um, yeah, it's... There were a couple of pinch points. Um, the obvious one is they want English qualified players because they get credits from the RFU. So, in your matchday squads. So, it, you have to be sure that you're going to be... Playing a lot of rugby, if you're going to go and play for a country that's not England, uh, I think kind of probably happened to someone like Tom Heathcote. Got a couple of caps, and he's something less attractive. If you're that reserve fly half, you might as well bring in the academy kid who's English qualified. So you have to make sure that you you have to believe that you're a starting player to to do that. Uh, I kind of I did. Um, I certainly believed I could do be a starting player at a club in the Premiership anyway. So I was happy to take the risk, knowing that it could limit my options. I didn't think it would. I thought I'd still, there'd be clubs that are interested in me if Northampton weren't. Although like I say they didn't play me for two months after I played Scotland. Uh, the other pinch point was probably in the, the Six Nations, 2011.
0: And, it, you know, the best
1: thing about Scotland is, you with know, James Robson as head of medical, you know, sometimes with, with physios and doctors, you don't know how much influence the coaches have on the decision. I think, that's probably gone now with a lot of the concussion stuff that's going on and injury injury management. But, you know, you knew James Robinson said you weren't fit to play, you weren't fit to play. And it was just nice, very reassuring as a player. There's, there's no ulterior motive. No one's kind of leaning on him. He's, you know, he's, he's such a strong character and, and obviously an excellent professional. And I was knocked out against Bath in the rest game between Ireland and the Wales game, I think. That infamous Wales game, which I hated playing it. And I got straight KO, butch James, elbow to the temple, um, legal then, probably not. I think he'd probably get a red card now. And obviously, James obviously said, You're concussed, you can't play against Ireland, at the, um, Dublin. And Northampton were like, Fantastic, you can play for us. So and that, and that, was, that was that was a bit awkward. And by then, you know, to be honest, I'd, I'd already signed for another club um it wasn't released yet but I, i've kind of that gave me a bit of impetus to say actually i'm gonna put my foot down like of course i want to play for scotland if i'm not playing this sunday i'm not playing on saturday um and it was yeah that didn't go down particularly well um yeah you know, that, that was a particular example but but again i was an older player then uh you know i stand up for myself i'm not sure if that's that would have happened if I was three years younger. Uh, it was it, was, it was put in a bit of an awkward position. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, that aside, you know, obviously the thing that you love most about these clubs is probably the, the players around you, right? And that's, that's the community design. I think with Northampton, that was fantastic. You know, I grew up... It's the thing that I miss, I guess, with the Scotland group is I didn't grow up with them. I didn't go to Glasgow or Edinburgh. So I got on so well with them, you have to ask them but felt like i got on very well with these guys on tours etc but you know families weren't necessarily merged whereas in northampton i've gone through that academy setup you know my wife my kids they know you know you just kind of i'm relatively reclusive at the best of times but if they know me and my wife then we'll probably stay in touch um and you know i feel like we really missed out on some of those strong links um we're, we're playing in the Premiership and therefore you know, relatively infrequently going up to play for Scotland. Um, uh, That's the nature of
0: the beast. Do, do you miss the changing room? Do you miss that, you know, between the whistles happens, but do you miss the changing room that sort of doors shut, just us doing what we do? Is that something that you loved about it?
1: I th- Well, it's been a long time now. It's, um, yeah, 10 years. Really, since I've been in that environment, and I certainly feel like the careers I've or the professions I've worked in since uh, have, have, in some way, recreated elements of that changing room. Um, perhaps more more PC, but uh, ultimately, <laughs> yeah, you get your P45 for some of the stuff that went on. But yeah, that in terms, if you did that, yeah, you, there's, there's, there's there's a change, and obviously, there's a, lot, there's a certain uh, element of maturity that. You can get away with not having maybe in a change room environment, but yeah, of course, you just miss you miss that uh, that that environment. Um, In terms of just rugby, yeah, you've got to really trust your teammates. It's a pretty brutal game, Uh, and you, you don't always get on with every single teammate, but you do because you have to, you know, you wouldn't actually get on with them, sorry, in a different environment is what I meant, but you definitely have to in that environment because you're all in it together and you've all got, you know, whereas, you know, I don't my dad always saying, you know, they'd win a game when he was playing down at Palace and, you know, people weren't happy because they have not scored a goal. And it's like, well, we've won. And I think with rugby, if you do win those games, generally speaking, um, in the clubs that I played in, anyway, you know, everyone's happy. Everyone's behind the team. I've heard of situations where it's maybe not like that, but um, certainly I've been lucky at Northampton Irish with Scotland. You know, if, if we win, we win together, and uh, it's it's fantastic to be in those kind of environments.
0: There's two things I'm not going to talk about. One is the clash of heads with stroker, um, yeah, and the enough. other the other one is is your reason for retiring, but. You did have to retire early, um, you know, probably long before anyone would have predicted or hoped. But you always had this other string to your bow or these other interests. Were you always planning for the time to move on or was it just it, you needed that stimulus to, to go all the way through your rugby playing career?
1: Yeah, maybe. I think I, I don't think I was very proactive Um
0: I think when I got my
1: degree, I had a, I was signed for Northampton my last year at university, and I didn't go back to Northampton at all. And I told them I wouldn't, and they offered me Premiership games. I was like, no chance. I've not even lifted a weight. Why I don't want to go and play in the Prem. Um, and they got relegated that year. But I kind of I, I was very good at kind of pulling those two apart. So once I finished, and but kind of that wasn't massively helpful. So I started playing rugby, that I was on the FIFAs, the Call of Duties, and I wasn't really spending my time particularly productively outside of rugby, so I definitely wasn't planning. Um, I kind of assumed that it'd be fine because I had a good degree, but in hindsight, yeah, it would have been a lot more useful to have maybe upskilled in certain areas. Start, and that's certainly advice I give any players now. And actually, a lot of players do 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 that with the with the various you know, the RPA is fantastic in the prem um and you yeah, know they give you a bit of guidance to, to help you basically rule things out and improve your network and there are so many great networking opportunities in the sport but ultimately you know i guess i probably rested on my laurels a bit and thought i was in a good shot good position and and in the end it didn't really matter you know i was, I was very fortunate to have some key people to help with that decision making process i had had um you know more had financial security to make and and for, you know from other friends who've done freshman rugby and had to retire that's not been the case and it suddenly becomes a lot more stressful uh, and especially when they've got young families um so i think it wasn't great to break my neck but i was very very lucky with what happened afterwards and, and the people involved and all the support and stakeholders i had so actually i didn't ever kind of have you know wake up another night screaming like what the hell am i going to do myself and um, it was
0: you know there were good options
1: and i just had to pick and if i'd been more proactive maybe i'd already decided what i wanted to do before i retired i didn't know so i tried a few different careers you know in my head i'm still going to try different ones but actually it's unlikely. You know, I'm, I'm quite i quite enjoy teaching so i think i'll probably stay there for a while
0: yeah, that, that was where I was going next, and I, I'm looking at the clock and thinking I've taken up a whole load of your time, uh, but I did want to ask about teaching. How, all your experience and, and the things that you've gone through in life have brought you to to this moment where you stand up in front of kids and you, know, you, you teach a subject you're passionate about and you get to do rugby coaching as well. When they then ask you to tell a story or when you get a moment to draw on on some experience do you feel in a calm place to be able to support young people with their the, the place they are in their journey
1: i think so yeah i mean I, I currently work in a boarding school so we get a lot more interaction um you know not just lesson time not just on the sport field but also just you know in the kind of house life um so yeah, definitely. You, you, if you have the time, then those conversations are more likely to happen because you're just around and it becomes normalised. And then they will say, actually just, just going to have a chat. They don't. They'll don't tend to ask me about anything to do with me, obviously, because um, you know, they're more, way more interested in what's happening. And then you know, we've had I think we had Richard Wigglesworth was our coach for about three years. We coached together. He was still playing for England, but they didn't care. So it was a. It's not maritaje. Not bothered. No, it's not matter um like, this guy's unbelievable Like you need to ask him about um so yeah i think the tension spans as, as well documented are, are short so certainly no one's they'll, they'll definitely know about the headbutt but that's about it i don't think any of them have seen me play rugby um but yeah it's fantastic to like i said that you know the importance of being in a rugby club and getting on with people i think that's the same in the school environment so i've certainly had lots of practice Everyone with different types um of people and some of the lessons i've learned i can apply um pretty easily i think to, to that kind of school environment um and yeah i, I love going to school as well so i can just you know, i can still just about remember my own school days and People generally enjoy school, there's always a risk they
0: to end up as teachers, right? Yeah, and unfortunately, that, that is me. I loved school and ended up bloody back there for the rest of my life, but I, I enjoy it. Let, Joe, I've absolutely loved speaking to you. There's, there's a whole load more, but um, we've taken up enough of your time, so at the end of these, I always ask people, This is I give, I give you a little bit of notice of this. So, Joe, for you, happiness is sleeping past 8 a.m. <laughs> spoken like a true teacher (laughs) yeah i love it i absolutely love it joe ansborough thank you so much i've really appreciated you giving up your time and i hope you enjoy the future wherever that may take you cheers
1: bruce thanks for the
0: chat all the best Absolutely love that. What a man. He's done so many things, and I still think there's a lot more to come. We're going to be hearing about him in the future, and I'm going to make some calls because somebody needs to write this guy's autobiography. If you've enjoyed it, you can catch us on Apple, Acast, and Spotify. You can also watch on YouTube and Facebook. If you enjoyed it, leave us a comment, leave us a review, tell your friends. The back catalog's there for all to see, and we've got some great guests coming up. But in the meantime, my name is Bruce Anderson from the Happiness Is podcast, and my happiness is egg-shaped. I look forward to seeing you all again very, very soon. Stay safe. Hello, I'm mayhem. Hello, I'm chaos. And our
1: our happiness 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 is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. This night, and said, happiness is egg shaped. Hey, um, happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg shaped. and loves a circle with no end. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.